0: Church, as always, Uh, what a wonderful time in worship together, and we certainly look forward to what the Lord will continue to do uh, this morning uh, as we lift up His name. Hey, listen, if it's your first time here or your first time in a long time, uh, over the last several weeks, we have been kind of diving into uh, who we are as a church here at First Baptist. We are toward the end of a series that we've titled, This Is Us, And in that, we've been defining kind of what the Lord has called us to do and how we're gonna go about doing that and really some foundational pieces that just kinda, this is why we are structured the way we are, this is why we're gonna do what we're gonna do moving into the future, this is what we believe uh, Jesus has called us to do and why we are here. And so we've been walking through our mission, Uh, we've been walking through our strategy as defining what those things look like, uh, not only for our members here, but for anybody who might be interested in joining in with God on his mission to reach the world right here through uh, First Baptist Church, Saltillo. So the first thing we did was we talked about um, our mission and, uh, and, and our mission statement, which comes directly from the mouth of Jesus in Matthew 28. And we kind of summed it up like this. Uh, we exist to glorify God by making disciples in Saltillo and throughout the world. That's, that's us. If we were to sum it down into one statement, this is what it looks like. Now, of course, this is what Jesus told every church to do. He said, go and make disciples, right? Baptizing and teaching. Go everywhere, all throughout uh, the world, and let's turn it upside down. And so this is what we believe here. We believe God's called us to do that same thing. Bring him glory by making disciples. Now, we answered this question, and we've been walking through it for the last several. Are we specifically going to make Disciples in Saltillo and throughout the world. And we've been defining and walking through a disciple making strategy that, by the way, we didn't just, wasn't this aha moment where I just woke up one day and was like, oh, this is what we should do? Um, Wasn't our staff just sitting around going, oh, These colors look really cool, let's make this kinda neat and maybe everybody will go along uh, with our ideas. No, 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 we uh, collaborated with a large group of leaders here at our church for the course of eight plus months and we wrestled through scripture and asked the difficult questions and we came together and we put this strategy from God in place here at our church and it's also pretty simple. Uh, we believe that we should be making disciples by helping people follow Jesus, grow together, serve others, and multiply disciples. That's what that strategy looks like for us. If we're going to the world, it begins right here in this strategy, intentionally making disciples every single day. Now, I want to give a little recap. It'll be pretty brief, especially if you haven't been with us, of course, I don't promote this often, but you can always go online to our website. You can find previous sermons, and you can watch um, everything that we've done in this series that's titled This Is Us. So if you missed some, by all means, go back and check it out, but we've looked at our strategy uh, for the last couple of weeks, and what we mean when we say follow Jesus is that we wanna help people begin and maintain a growing relationship with Christ. That's what we mean. We wanna help people surrender their lives to Jesus if they've never uh, given over their life to him, if they've never began to follow Jesus. We wanna help them make that commitment to begin walking after him. But We also wanna help people develop spiritual habits that will allow them to continue to walk for the rest of their lives. Following him was not a one-time decision, right? We discovered that. Instead, it's a lifelong journey, direction with Christ as we become more and more like him. We want people to follow Jesus. Now, what we mean when we say grow together is we wanna help people connect with other believers in biblical community. We truly believe that spiritual growth happens best through accountable relationships, and we want that for everybody. We want people in circles that allow them to become who Jesus wants them to be, a place where they can belong, a place where they can wrestle with scripture, a place where they can become exactly who Jesus has designed them to be. That's what we mean when we say grow together. What we mean when we say serve others is also pretty simple. We want to help people not only discover their spiritual gifts, because we believe God has gifted every person in the body of Christ help people discover those. We want to help people actually use those gifts to expand the kingdom of God. And so we want every person, every member of the body who has been uniquely placed here, we want them to discover why God has them here and how they can Show our community the love of Jesus by using those spiritual gifts that God has given them. I mean, what better way to love others than through serving? Now, this week, I'm pretty, I'm pretty excited. We're finishing up our strategy discussion with this final piece, the piece that we call Multiply Disciples. I came across a story several months back that has certainly impacted the way that I think about church. The story is an old, an old story told about a judo master and his student. Here's how the story goes. It says there once was a judo master whose student was involved in a serious accident. The 10-year-old boy's left arm was so badly injured that it had to be amputated. He lost it, lost his left arm. Everyone thought this would end the boy's judo aspirations. He would never do it again. However, the loss of an arm only increased the boy's determination to compete. So despite the amputation, despite losing his left arm, the judo master agreed to continue training the boy, but he focused all the training on one extremely difficult move. Now the boy complained, He wanted to be just like all the others who were learning all aspects of the sport. But the old master convinced his one-armed student not to question, but to learn. So they practiced that one move day after day, week after week, month after month. Eventually, the one-armed boy was allowed to enter a judo tournament where he surprised everyone through several rounds and into the finals. His opponent in the championship round was faster, he was stronger, he was more experienced. He had mastered dozens of judo techniques, and by the way, he had two arms. The one-armed boy seemed completely outmatched. Spectators admired his courage and his determination, but they felt sorry for him. Then at one point in the contest, the superior athlete lost concentration. It was at that moment that the one-armed boy executed his one move. There was nothing his opponent could do to escape the move and after the match, everyone wanted to know how a one-armed boy could possibly be the champion. It was miraculous, how could he do it? So the judo master, the, the, the teacher, he answered the questions from the crowd. He said, this boy won for two reasons, first of all, he had mastered one of the most difficult moves in all of judo. Second, the only defense against that move is to grab your opponent's left arm. Listen, I don't know if that story's true, if it's based on an actual event or not. I'm not sure, I never determined the answer to that. And you might even be thinking, Danny, how does this story, although unique, apply to us as a church today? Well, I'm not just telling you an interesting judo story that has a funny ending about a one-armed boy. That's not my point. My point is, is that I think the comparison to the church is simple. The church also has a single move that our greatest adversary cannot stop you want to know what the single move is? It is to multiply Disciples you say Danny should we be in the political realm trying to fight politics? I'm not saying that's wrong, but that's not the move that Jesus say Danny Should we have better counseling and better self-helps and should we make people better humans? I'm not saying that's bad, but that's not the one move that Jesus gave us Danny Should we invest more in social justice and beginning new Initiatives to help those who are in poverty and 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 racism and 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 you add to the list Yeah, it's good. We want to help with those things But can I tell you something friends? That's not the one move that Jesus gave the church our one move is to make disciples who make disciples and you know what happens when that happens Everything else begins to change as well He gave us one move and his name is Jesus. Now listen, you don't have to just take this from me or this clever little story. This was Jesus' goal with his early followers. This is what we find happening in the early church that we've been reading about for several Bible reading plan. This is our mission and our strategy. It's all about multiplying disciples. That's exactly what we've been highlighting for the past several weeks. And so as a matter of fact, listen, I... I'm gonna open this because I want you to know we're gonna dive all over in scripture, but there is not one place alone that we find what Jesus talks about with multiplying disciples. There's not one place that we find alone where Jesus expands on how the church will continue to move the name of Jesus and make him famous throughout the world. As a matter of fact, it happened with his followers, it happened with the early church, it happened throughout the New Testament, and it's still happening today. In other words, listen, Jesus seems to have had a plan them? Is that plan still relevant to us? And are we following the plan? You say, Danny, what do you mean? Well, I want to show you a couple things about multiplication when it comes from Jesus' experience with his disciples as a church in the New Testament as it applies to us today. Let me show you the first one. Multiplication happened through invitation. It's the first thing I want you to see. Multiplication happened through invitation. Now there are numerous places in the gospel where Jesus invited people into a relationship with him. Not just a decision, but a direction where people would literally follow after Jesus. You say, what do you mean, Danny? Well, Jesus's invitation to his early disciples in John chapter one, verse 39 was this, come and you will see. You know what Jesus was saying? Come on, I got something bigger than you could ever imagine. And he issues them an invitation. Let me show you this one. This is Jesus talking to Peter and Andrew in Matthew 4, 19. Where Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. You know what Jesus is doing? Offering an invitation for people to come and follow him. Or what about two different tax collectors that we find in the gospels? One's pretty popular, his name's Levi, or we might call him Matthew. Here's what it says in Mark chapter 2, verse 14. And as he passed by, talking about Jesus, he saw Levi, or Matthew, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me, and he rose and followed him. Or what about Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19, verse 5? And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. You say, Danny, what was Jesus doing? He was offering invitations to people to come and follow him. I love Jesus' invitation to the rich young ruler In Mark chapter 10, verse 21, and Jesus looking at him, loved him, and you lack one thing. Go sell all you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. You say, Daddy, does Jesus offer an invitation to follow him? Everywhere he went. He offered an invitation for people to follow him. You know what happened in Jesus' day? There was one guy, his name was Jesus, and from him he offered invitation after invitation after invitation, and guess what happened? Multiplication happened as he invited more and more people to follow him. What about the church in the New Testament? Listen, it's no different than Jesus. They also experience multiplication through invitation. Matter of fact, in the very beginning, in Acts chapter two, the entire sermon that Peter famously preaches is an invitation for people to enter into relationship with Jesus. I don't know if you remember this. This is Acts two, verse 38. And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. What did he mean when he said repent? He meant stop living in the old life and come follow somebody who offers new life. He offered an invitation for people to follow Jesus. Well, if you keep going, this is what it says about the believers in the early church in Acts chapter four, verse 31. And when they had prayed... The place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. You say, Danny, that doesn't sound like an invitation. That's what they did when they spoke the word of God with boldness. They boldly proclaimed to sinners, there is another way, his name is Jesus, and he invites you into a relationship with him. They said, don't let us look into the face of persecution and bow out. No, 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 God give us boldness to stand before our enemies, to stand before a lost and dying world, not to bring up a a political revolution, not to start our own nation. That was never their desire. Their desire was that the name of Jesus would be made famous and people would surrender their lives to him and when they offered the invitation for a better way to follow a man who died for their sins, I've got a better way. People began to follow after Jesus. What about a couple verses later in Acts four, verse 33, "And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. You know what that testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus means? They were inviting people into the same relationship they now had, not with a dead guy, but a guy who rose from the seated on the throne and offers them more than they could ever have in any other way. You know what they were doing? They were inviting people into a relationship with Jesus. Or What about later in Acts, Acts thirteen five, when Paul and Barnabas are sent out to start proclaiming the name of Jesus? Here's what it says. They proclaimed the word of God. That was what they continued to do as they went from town to town. You say, Danny, what do you mean? They were inviting people to follow Jesus. Multiplication happens as God's people invite those who are far from God into a relationship with Jesus. This is what Jesus meant when he said this in Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. Where? Everywhere. You said, Danny, what do we learn about multiplication from the Bible? We learned that it began with invitation. Began with people saying, Hey, we know a guy named Jesus. He can change everything. Will you follow him? Let me ask you something, friends. Who are you inviting? to follow Jesus. Listen, if you're a follower of Jesus, he's empowered you with the Holy Spirit to go and share his name with the world. Who are you telling about Jesus? Who are you inviting to be in a relationship with him? God desires for the church to multiply. It can't happen if we're not inviting new people into a relationship with Christ. Let me show you the second thing. It's a little bit longer than the first thing, so I'm gonna to have to hurry up. Number two, multiplication, it it, it happened through invitation, we know that, but number two, multiplication happened through investment. It happened through investment. Invitation seems to be consistently followed by investment. You say, Danny, what do you mean? Well, once someone accepted them to follow Jesus, he then invested in them, and so did the early church. Now, this seems to take place in several different ways, and I don't even think it's limited to these, but here's how I have seen it mostly throughout the New Testament. Investment meant gathering. That was how it began. The invitation was issued, people started following Jesus or gave their lives to Christ and were now a part of the body of Jesus, and investment started happening as people poured into their lives for them to become more like Jesus, which really began with them gathering with other followers to invest in them. This is the picture of Jesus. He gathered with his followers to invest, he taught them, he showed them how to live, he brought them along with him as he did ministry. Everything they did had to do with gathering together as a group. You say, Danny, what do you mean? The Sermon on the Mount is a great example, with his disciples to teach them. They gathered constantly with others in the synagogues as they worshiped together. They gathered with the groups of people to do ministry as Jesus would heal and cast out demons and do all sorts of incredible things. The early church, same thing. They gathered together to invest in each other. As a matter of fact, after Jesus ascends to the throne of God in Acts chapter 1, verse 14, we find them gathering. Here's what it says. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary and the mother of Jesus and his brothers. They're all there together. His followers gathered as one people. They gathered to worship. In Acts chapter 2 verse 46 it says, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They prayed for future ministry. In Acts chapter 4, it says, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Listen, we gather like they did. We meet so that we can encourage and challenge and strive together for the expansion of the kingdom. Investment. Begins as we gather together as one body, seeking Jesus to lead us. Listen, Jesus knew how much we would need each other. He knew how much we would need the power of the Holy Spirit. This is why he prayed in John chapter 17 over his disciples. He said, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. He knew the importance of gathering and doing life together. I love what Robert E. Coleman wrote. He said, truth was not taught in abstract doctrines or regulations. It was caught in the experience of their shared life together. You say, Danny, what do you mean by investment? I mean Jesus, I mean the early church. They gathered, vest in one another so they could be more like Jesus. This is a picture of multiplication. But listen, that investment didn't just mean gathering, it also meant giving. It meant giving. Listen, Jesus was constantly teaching about investing what they had, about using their resources to expand the kingdom. Now, you may not know this, but Jesus taught about money as much as he taught about anything else in his time on this earth. You say, Danny, why would he talk about it so much? Because what we do with what God has given us is extremely important to the kingdom of God. This is why Jesus would teach in Matthew chapter six, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is, there your heart will be. This was all about giving. You say, what about the early church? Oh man, we could read numerous scriptures of how the early church gave for the cause of the kingdom. Their generosity was unparalleled to anything that we see in church today. You say, what do you mean? Acts chapter 2 verse 45 says, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Matter of fact, it wasn't even just their money. I love what Acts chapter 3, verse 6 tells us about those early apostles. It says, but Peter said, they're looking at a guy who's lame, hasn't hasn't walked in years. Peter said, I have no silver and gold. I ain't got no money to give you, man. I'm poor. But what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk, right? They gave all that they had, including Jesus, Acts chapter four, verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. They had everything in common. A little bit later, Acts chapter four, verses 34 through 35. Listen to these words. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any who had need. Let me ask you something, friends. We think about investing in the kingdom of God. How do we think about our intentions when we gather together? Is it for the sake of the expansion of the kingdom because multiplication happened through investment? Are you gathering so that multiplication and more disciples are made? Hey, when you think about giving, are you giving generously because you're supposed to? Are you giving generously because you feel like God's gonna zap you if you don't? Or are you giving generously because you want to see the kingdom of God expanded? By the way, we're not the only ones who gave. Let me read you this. This is from teen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. He modeled giving for us way more than we could ever imagine giving Multiplication happened through investment, and investment meant gathering. Investment meant giving. Let me show you something else, though. Investment meant going. It did. It meant going. It meant leaving their comfort zones, stepping out to places that maybe before they were unwilling to do. Why? For the expansion of the kingdom. They weren't just going for the sake of going. They weren't going because they were bored or they were tired of living where they were living. They were going because they wanted people who had never heard about Jesus to hear about Jesus. Listen, there are numerous scriptures we could read about Jesus going and going and going and healing and casting out demons and turning people's lives upside down. As a matter of fact, in Scripture, he says, I don't need my head. Why? Because his entire mission was to go. As a matter of fact, in Luke chapter 10, we read about an account where Jesus sent out his own disciples. He says this in Luke 10 verse two, and he said to them, "The harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. He wants us to go Jesus would later tell his disciples in Matthew 28:19, "Go therefore." and make disciples of all nations. Can I tell you something, this isn't just true of Jesus, this is true for the early church. Man, they would gather and they would give all that they had if needed, but more than just that, they were willing to go. We could spend hours looking at the various missionary journeys of Paul and Barnabas or Paul and Silas or Paul and Timothy. The early church knew that what they had in Jesus was never there themselves. They were willing to go to the ends of the earth and proclaim his name everywhere friends is that true of us today are we still willing to go matter of fact can I tell you something this might surprise you I don't think when Jesus said go he's necessarily talking about the other side of the world maybe Jesus is just telling you to go to the other side of the street and our neighbors even know what we know Do the people right next to us even know what we know? Do the people we rub shoulders with every day, that's who Jesus is telling us to go to. How are you going? Listen, I love what Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2 verses one and two. Listen to these words. He said, you then my child be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. We can't do it apart from him. And here's what he told him. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses into faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Now process this for a moment. If Paul had wrote these words to you, if he was referring to you when he said this, listen, you then my child, put your name, you then Danny, what you have heard from me, entrust to faithful men, who will be able to teach others also. If those words are literally you, your name's in there, can you look at him and tell him that you've been faithful? Now listen, I'm not trying to make us feel small this morning. What I want us to understand is that these words aren't just something that was written for Timothy. These words are for you and they are for me this morning. If you are a follower of Jesus, you were never meant to keep Jesus to yourself. All you've been entrusted with, God desires for you to pass on to others who pass it on to others. You know what we call this process? It's something very simple. Multiplication. Think about it. If Jesus had not trained his disciples, who would have started the early church in the book of Acts? If the early church had not made new disciples, who would have advanced the church further than where it was in Jerusalem? Listen, friends, I am challenged by Jesus's investment and the investment of the New Testament church when it came to making disciples. I love what Eugene Peterson wrote as he thought about the multiplication of Jesus. Here's what he wrote. Here's the perspective he gives. Listen to this. Jesus, it must be remembered. Restricted nine tenths of his ministry to twelve Jews because it was the only way to redeem all Americans. Process that for a moment. Put any country you want to fill in that blank, any any ethnicity. Jesus poured into 12 Jewish men and from those 12 Jewish men, he said, go and multiply across the world. Friends, is he looking at us and saying that same thing? And if we stood before him now as followers of Christ, how many people can we say have been multiplied because of us? How many people have we transferred the gospel to? How many people's lives have been changed because we've invested beyond this world? We've invested in things of eternity. How many can we claim? Let me show you this last thing. Multiplication, it happened through invitation. It certainly happened through investment. But I want to show you this. Multiplication happened through influence. This is the last one. Say, Daddy, what do you mean influence? Well, just... Think about the type of influence that he had when he walked on this earth. He had stirred up his small community so much that they crucified him on a cross. By the time of his resurrection and ascension, his followers had multiplied from 12 that he chose to follow him to at least 120 that we read about in Acts chapter 1 verse 15 when they're praying together. Although if we were to go deeper into the New Testament, Paul would say that there was even more than just 120. He says that Jesus appeared to more than 500 of his followers. So we got Jesus, we got 12, now we got 500 followers by the time Jesus ascends. That's massive influence. Now, think about the early church as we continue to see that influence increase as they continue to follow Jesus. You say, Danny, what do you mean? Well, by Acts chapter 2, that 500 has now turned, or at least 120 from Acts chapter 1, has turned into over 3,000 people now following Jesus. Now, by Acts chapter 4, I don't know the time frame, but for me, that's just a couple, that's one page turn in my Bible, so it seems pretty quick. By Acts chapter four, that number's climbed by 5,000 more people following Jesus, which makes me think at this point in time, there were somewhere around 8,000 plus at this point following after Jesus. Now, listen to this. By the time we get to Acts chapter five, by the way, that's not even a page turn in my Bible. It's on the same one as Acts chapter four. Here's what it says, Acts five fourteen, And more than ever, Believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. Listen, we've moved beyond 3,000 and 5,000 and 8,000. Now they can't even count everybody. It's just multitudes of people. By Acts 17, followers of Jesus who are advancing the kingdom of God are described in a new way. Listen to it. This is in Acts 17, verse 6. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities. They're, they're dragging in the movement. And they're shouting. Here's what they say. These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. Listen, could you imagine... Can you imagine if the description of First Baptist Church Saltillo goes from the couple of hundred people who were meeting in a worship service to multitudes of people who are now following Jesus to now people are saying across the globe, we don't even have a name for these people anymore. They're just the people who've turned the world upside down. Can you imagine if that's the testimony of what we allow God to do in our lives? Could you imagine what would happen if our church could start this type of multiplication of disciples? Matter of fact, I got a little picture for you. I'm gonna throw it up on the screen. This is a difference, just a quick glimpse into the difference of addition versus multiplication. So what's happening in the church, they're not just adding a few people here and there, all of the are multiplying because as they share their faith and invest in others, people are also doing the same thing. Now look at this, I gotta look at it too, that screen's way too small back there. If we added one, one year, let's say one person in this room, all right, me, let's say me because I'm really spiritual, so let's use me as an example. The people who are laughing are the ones who know me, so I'm glad that was not a whole lot of laughs. Let's imagine for a second that Danny sees a person saved every day. 365 souls into the kingdom every year. Let's say every year that's all I did. I just saw one, per, one person a day come to faith. Well, you could keep adding it up. By year 16, I would have seen 5,840 people come to know Jesus, which by the way, beautiful. But could you imagine if instead of just leading somebody to Jesus, we actually invited invested and influenced to the point that we're not the only one sharing now but the person that we shared with we've they're sharing their faith too right can you see the difference quickly in just Danny adding numbers to the kingdom versus new disciples who can make disciples are now multiplying and it's not just Jesus on the planet now it's 12 Jewish men on the planet now it's not 12 Jewish men it's 12 times 12 okay I don't want to do math in my head but just imagine this If it was just addition by year 16, 5,840. That's beautiful. But at year 16 with multiplication, all of us sharing our faith and making disciples who also share their faith. Look, 65,536. You see the difference? What if instead of just hoping the person next to us told somebody this year about Jesus, what if instead we started investing in each other in such a way that the influence of Jesus on our community was astronomical. For just a second, this is this is side notes, by the way. How many people live in Saltillo? Somebody got a random. Waba. About five thousand. All right, five thousand people. Okay, you say, Danny, by year sixteen, we're at sixty-five thousand. I agree. Where are those people coming from? All over the world. You say, Danny, what do we do when all of Saltillo knows about Jesus? Guess what? We move on to the next place. Well, Danny, what about when they all know about Jesus? Hey, guess what? We move on to the next place. You say, Danny, what happens when we run out of places? Right? You say, Danny, that's a dream world. I agree. Can I tell you something, though, it's not my dream. It's Jesus's dream for his church. Man, we want to see this happen. This is why we have partners all throughout our country and even beyond our country. We want to gather and give and go for gospel. Now, I know what you're thinking, Danny. We can't do now what they did then. It was a different time. It was a different season. We can't do that. Well, listen, maybe so. I won't argue with you on whether or not we can. But I would bet you, if I was a betting man, that the church in the New Testament had no idea what to expect either. Peter stood up and proclaimed the name of Jesus. You know what I bet he wasn't thinking? All right, I bet 3,000 people today. This is about the guess I've got. I bet, hey, we're gonna do it again. I bet 5,000 more hey, you know what? We're not even going to be able to count anymore. I bet that's not what their expectation was either. You know what they did? They just obeyed Jesus and went as he told them to go. Maybe the issue isn't that we can't do it. Maybe the issue is that we've been conditioned not to expect it. Listen, I read a story. It's been several years ago now. It's in a book that's pretty cool. but the guy the guy talks about a pumpkin farmer that really puts this into perspective. He wrote these words, he said it's like a pumpkin farmer who was strolling through his rows of beautiful green leaves at the beginning of the season and as the pumpkins were starting to add dots to the landscape, he's noticing how beautiful and how well everything's working. He glanced down as he's walking through his pumpkin patch and he noticed a clear glass jar. Now, curiosity got the best of him, so he took the jar over to one of his pumpkin buds, threaded the small pumpkin on its vine inside the open jar, and he left it sitting there in the field. Months later, with the experiment long forgotten, the farmer was walking his land greatly satisfied with the large, beautiful pumpkins that covered the patch. He rediscovered the glass jar as he was walking through the patch, totally intact and was startled to see filled up with the little pumpkin that grew inside the thin glass barrier had defined the shape of the orange mass within the pumpkin was only one-third of the size it should have been The problem for this little pumpkin is the same problem for many churches today. Rather than growing to their full potential, they continue to conform to the shape of an external mold or model. These glass jars create invisible barriers to growth and predetermine the shape of community for churches across the country. Hey friends, what if we decided today that we were gonna shatter all the glass jars that exist in our community today. We're not gonna limit God on what he wants to do. We're not gonna put him in a box that only he can fit in based on what we want or what we desire. What if instead we see the full picture of multiplying to realize that Jesus did not come to me just to stay with me? that he created me for a purpose that goes way beyond what I could ever imagine. What if the next movement of disciple making in our area started right here with a small group of people from South Tillow, Mississippi? You say, Danny, how is that going to begin? Let me tell you how I think it's gonna begin. I think it's gonna begin if people in our community will begin to follow Jesus. That's how I think it's gonna begin. You say, Danny, what do you mean? People who are far from Jesus are invited into a relationship with him and their lives are changed in such a way that they begin growing and maturing and becoming like Jesus. You say, Danny, how is this gonna continue? I think it's gonna continue as we grow together through accountable relationships. If a group of people will say, you know what? We want more than what's here. I love Jesus and I wanna know him, but I wanna go beyond where I, I want a group of people who will band together with me and push me to be who Jesus wants me to be. I think that's how multiplication will happen across our globe. You say, Danny, how else? Well, I think if we have people who want to discover their spiritual gifts and use them to love this community so that they can know Jesus, I think that's where multiplication will begin. You say, Danny, what else? What if if every person in this room started multiplying? Now, listen, here's the the scary thing. You will multiply what you are. She said, Danny, I'm a a pretty bad follower of Jesus. Well, you know what? You're probably going to multiply to a whole bunch of other bad followers of Jesus. Say, Danny, how do I change it? What if you decide to get serious about your walk with Christ to the point where you read what he says and you actually start to obey it? And you're... Than this glass jar that I've always thought church was. I want more than just thinking, oh, I wake up, I go to work, I be nice to people, I come home, I go to bed, and I go to church on Sunday. What if you decide that's not the glass jar you want to live in anymore? What if you decide that you realize Jesus has created you to multiply and you looked at every area of your life as an opportunity to share Jesus with the world? What if the glass jars broke today and we decided that we want more than what we've always been told? Can I tell you something? I think there are people in this room. I think there are people in this room who have been told what a relationship with Jesus looks like and somebody puts you in a glass jar and you've never fully become who God wants you to become. Can I invite you to something today? I'm going to be right back there in that lobby. We're going to sing. We're going to have a time where we can respond. By the way, anytime God's word is preached, he demands a response from us. I don't know what that looks like for you, but maybe. Maybe there's some glass jars that God's wanting to break today. here who always thought that, man, I thought this is what a relationship with Jesus looks like. Hey, look, if you're confused, if that's you, if you're not sure where you stand with him, can I tell you something? I'd love to meet you in that lobby in just a few minutes and take my Bible and show you what it looks like to follow Jesus. You say, well, Danny, I gave my life to Jesus years ago. Maybe you need some help in some other area. Maybe you don't know how to continue to walk with him. Maybe no one's ever showed you how to read your Bible. Maybe you don't know how to find a group of people who can love on you. Maybe you don't know your spiritual gift or how you should be using it. Maybe you know nothing about multiplying disciples and you wanna partner with somebody so that you can start seeing people come to know Jesus. Listen, I don't know where you are. I don't know where you fit in the process, but here's what I know. Jesus wants us to become more like him. What's your next step? Because he's got one you respond to him however he's telling you to respond and you take your next step. Let me pray for you. Father, we love you. Thank you, Jesus. You're awesome. We're so thankful.